God, also have the kind of power as we speak whatever, words of life or words of death. Now, you can kind of see this in the secular world as well. Uh, if you look at, like, psychologists or even social scientists, if you look up on the Internet, like, the powers of words and life, they have these, like, random experiments where they're, they'll, like, take two plants or, like, two uh, Tupperwares full of rice, for you Asians out there, okay, where <laughs> over one kind of tub of rice, the person will speak forth, like, I love you and life. And over the other one, hate. And I hate you. And even in these experiments, you see that though the manifestation of the words show up. And so even over like 20, 30 days, the pot of rice that has love is still kind of white and looks presentable. I thought I really wouldn't eat 30-day-old rice. Okay, but the other one is all black and moldy. And so even you guys, you can think about when you're young, you know that little bratty like second grader who spoke those words to you for some of us those words still we can still hear those words like yesterday okay because as the bible says uh it has word uh power for death and life okay let's look at the slide so uh, we have proverbs 18:21, where it says in the nlt the tongue can bring death or life those who love to talk will reap its consequences proverbs 12:18. There is one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.4 in the NESB, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Okay, and a couple other verses about the power of words is Proverbs 16.24 NESB. Pleasant words, words <laughs> sorry, are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 10:19, NLT says, "Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut." <laughs> I know that speaks to some of you guys. Okay, last one is First uh, Peter 3:10 in the NLT. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life. And see many days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Okay, even the secular word believes in the power of words. Because it's a biblical truth that's standing from the beginning of time. Now, it's really funny because in the beginning of our marriage, I don't really do this too much anymore. But, you know, my personality is like quite intentional. And with my words, like I can think, I'll think the most mean thought that I'll never say, <laughs> but I'll think it, and you can see with my eyes, okay, but I try my best to hold my tongue, and you know, <sighs> the power of my words, okay, my husband, on the other hand, is, is, uh, you know, the knee jerk, you know what I'm talking about, like, he says the blah, he says the blah, and so in the beginning of my marriage, he would, he would say stuff, and he'd be like, I take that back, I'll be like, my love, you cannot take those words back, for it is written in the word in the book of life. <laughs> like, nothing you say will ever truly be erased. They're all up there, okay? But if we first uh, John 1 9 confess our sins, he's uh will take away all our unrighteousness. Okay, but there's power in words in life. Okay, James 3, 8, 10, 8 through 10, you can see on the slide. Uh, but no human being, oh, this is different. Okay, I'll read it from here. But no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so this passage of James, James is actually, he's addressing the church. So he's addressing believers. Okay, and he's exhorting the church to use our words for blessings and not for curses. The words for bless or blessing, okay, in the various forms, occurs more than 400 times in the Bible. Okay, so this is actually excluding instances where the word blessed means happy or fortunate, like the Beatitudes, right? Like, blessed is he, blah, blah, blah. Okay, this is taking all that out. But in terms of blessing and giving life, it's over 400 times in the Bible. And the word curse in various form occurs about 230 times. Okay, a number of both blessings and curses mentioned in the Bible uh, have still continued to work its way through, even in the 4,000 years past of when they've been spoken. So you can kind of take a look uh, in the scriptures with that. And so the main vehicle of both blessing and curses is words. Because such words may be spoken, or it can even be written out or merely uttered. Okay, this is why... Like social media can have, it can be a vessel of words of life or death. You know, sometimes you can read like social media posts and then you feel like all this like anxiety and you feel all this stuff just from someone's post. It's because those written words have a power of death and life. Now, it's interesting because in the Western church, uh, sometimes people have like a hard time kind of believing in curses, right? They think like, oh, it's like a like a Harry Potter or those like really superstitious type things. But I find it interesting, like people, uh, the churches in Asia or even Africa or South America, they believe in curses because we see it all around us today. Like if you go to South America, there's it's very prevalent to see witch doctors and different things. And in Asia, there's like shamans and those kind of Confucius, like where you see people doing those things. Uh, but the Western church, for some reason, has a different, uh, difficult time believing in curses. But it says in the Bible that our tongue can bring death and life. Uh, Proverbs 26.2 says, So a curse without cause does not alight. Okay, this is just showing us that behind every curse that comes upon us, there's a cause. And often that cause is a vehicle of words. Okay, Molly, if we could go back to uh, the James slide. Okay, we'll take a look at 3 and 8. So here, the word curse uh, is the Greek word kataromai, which means to curse, to speak doom or implicate evil upon, okay, or some kind of uh, excretion, implication, and curse. Okay, even... Non-Christians, the people who don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, have a power in their words because they also alike have been made in God's image. And so you know that there are like sometimes I heard from, you know, looking online and stuff, that some religions, they, they, they curse and they curse certain countries like the United States. And they speak forth prayers and those curses, those curses have power and they're real. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is uh, verse 12 through 36 through 37. Let me see, is it the same one? Okay. 
in the ESV, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So here in verse 36, the word careless, this is talking about, you know, words that are spoken carelessly, oftentimes without premeditation. Uh, it can be like a, you know, like a sarcastic <laughs> words that you speak to your friends or especially to your family, right? They really can bring that out inside of you. Okay, but this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here are these careless and without premeditation type words, right? You know, I used to have this like really bad habit of like, you know, maybe like 10 years ago where like if someone would say something, I'd be like, you're stupid. <laughs> and then I realized like, oh, that's not, my words have a power to to give death and life. And so I, I tried to consciously, because you know when you're young, it just sticks with you. Like you're from elementary, oh, don't be a dummy. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. Like, say, you say all those kinds of things, right? But maybe about 10 years ago, I felt really convicted. I'm like, oh, man, my words have power. And so I, every time that the, the words were on the tip of my tongue, like, you're stupid, I'll be like, you're silly. <laughs> and I had to really train my tongue to do this. Because as it says here, words spoken carelessly will be held accountable for. Uh, Proverbs 6, uh, 6, 2 in the NIV says, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. You know, people say all the time, like, you know, I, I didn't really mean it. <laughs> I've said this a lot of times, you know, like you're just with somebody, you're like, ah, and you get angry, it just spits out, I didn't really mean it, I'm sorry. But this is precisely the words of this kind, which people don't really mean, that Jesus warns us about. Okay, the fact that the speaker doesn't really mean them does not in any way minimize or cancel the effects of the words, nor does it release them from accountability. Mm, that won't hurt me. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a look uh, in Scripture about some careless words that sometimes people can, you can speak over yourself or others. Okay, you know how like, you just will kind of people hear people say like, oh, I'm never going to get that job. Or, you know, I, I just can't see myself doing those things. Or even when you're like young, oh, I'm never going to grow to be six feet tall. <laughs> I'm never going to get married. Okay, these are all careless words that can be spoken by, uh, to ourselves or to others that can provide like kind of a spiritual barrier that affects our lives. Uh, but we're going to take a look in scripture uh, of an account like this. If we can turn to Mark 14, okay, chapter 66 through 72. So just to give you some context, this is the passage uh, where Jesus kind of tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Okay, and so here's the beginning of the passage. You can kind of follow along on the slide. Uh, so I'll read from Mark 14:66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, 
you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. Verse 70. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Verse 71, But he, he's talking about Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. It's intense, right? Okay, so here we see that Peter, he denies Christ and enforces, to enforce his third denial, he actually began to curse and swear. So if you look at the Greek, okay, the word curse, the definition is bind under a curse. Declare oneself liable to the severest of divine penalties. Okay, and then the word swear, it talks, talks about making an oath or even witnessing. So I, I kind of feel like if I were Peter, this would, this would be like a careless word. You're like, oh, and you just get so angry and you're like, I swear and I curse. Right? Can't you imagine yourself doing this? Listen to me. I'm not, I'm not that person, right? To kind of emphasize that point. Okay, but here... Peter was grieved after this all happens, but he, he imposes a curse upon himself. Okay, we're going to go to uh, the next slide. So this is Mark chapter 16. Okay, so this is three days after Peter spoke this curse over himself that he has nothing to do with Jesus, okay? So Mark 16, 7, it says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you so. Okay, you notice up here, the angel's deciphering between the disciples, and he puts Peter separately. Okay, other translations, it says, and even Peter. <laughs> okay, so the very curse that he spoke upon himself, that he was not a disciple, came to fruition when the angel saw him three days later. Okay, this was an example of careless words spoken by him. Peter was no longer grouped in with the, with the disciples, but by his own words, he had forfeited his standing as a disciple. Mm. I like got the chills when I read that. Okay, okay, but Jesus graciously, <laughs> okay, he opened the way for Peter to regain his standing as a disciple. Okay, let's look at uh, John twenty one. Verses 15 through 17. Okay, here it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He, asked, he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus is talking about, said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to me, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to me, Him, tend my sheep. 
Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I feel like I could understand Peter here. Like, do any of you guys have like nagging parents where they like tell you the same thing? Like, hey, hey, make sure to go pick up that mail. Oh, uh, hey, uh, before you leave, make sure to go pick up that mail. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I feel like, man, why are you nagging me, Jesus? I heard you. You just need to say it one time. Okay, but here... Jesus is showing a very important spiritual truth here. Okay, he graciously opened the way for Peter to regain his standing as a disciple because three times Peter denied him and on the third time he even cursed cursed himself, right? So here, Jesus was leading him in these passages to revoke his previous denials. Okay, so each time Peter spoke out a denial. Jesus, in his grace, revokes it to show him. Now he says, okay, now that's the wrong confession. This is the right confession. Do you love me? And each time he made a way for the wrong confession, now he kind of reversed it through the right confession. So here Jesus gives us a clear example of what we can do when we speak careless words over ourselves okay so we're talking about self-imposed words okay oh i'm never gonna lose my belly weight (laughs) i will lose my belly weight okay i'm never gonna be able to do these things these these are certain words that whether you know it's like people in your outskirts you kind of hear it okay and the enemy will bring it into your mind okay but because we're responsible for the words we speak those words, those things never have power till it's actually spoken out. Okay, that's why it says in the Bible to take all thoughts captive. Because we have an enemy who's roaring around like a lion. He kind of like, you know, puts in things in your mind. Oh, he doesn't really love you. Oh, you're, you're never going to... That dream that God gave you, that's just bogus. Okay, because the enemy, he often speaks in eye language. Because, you know, you, you, you hear that like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Okay, that's not actually your thought. Oftentimes it's the enemy. Okay, but it's up to us to take those thoughts, the thoughts captive and not to speak it out. Now, these kind of self-imposed word curses, this is one way Christians bring upon themselves various kinds of trouble, which they don't, they don't know the source. By speaking negative words about themselves, they shut themselves off from the blessing and expose themselves to curses. Okay, we can see this in many scriptures, but if you look in Numbers 13... Maybe just jot that down and I'll just kind of give you an overview. This is the account where the spies are coming to Joshua and they're giving an account, right? And so Caleb, and who's the other guy? Caleb and someone. Oh, is it Caleb and Joshua? It's Caleb and Joshua come to Moses, right? And they give an account and Caleb and Joshua are the only ones that give a positive account. It's filled, this land of Canaan is filled with milk and honey. We can overtake them, right? But all the other spies were like, no, we can't. So you find out later in scripture that the only two that actually entered into the promised land were, in fact, the two that spoke a positive account. Okay, so going back to uh, John 21, Jesus gives us kind of a biblical way that we can kind of release ourselves from any kind of self-imposed words 
that we've spoken over ourselves. Okay, let's go to that slide, Molly. So these are three steps that you can release yourself from a bad confession. Okay, first, it's, it's easy. Three is repent, revoke, and replace. Okay, these are kind of the three R's. Now, repentance is not, you know, just saying, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. But repentance really is like a turning of our hearts away from the sin and towards God. So the first step is you want to acknowledge that we made a wrong confession and repent. Lord, I acknowledge that I have spoken that I'll never be able to make it to this level. And I repent of this, okay? Step two is now you must revoke or renounce it. Okay, essentially this means, revoking means you kind of, you unsay it or you cancel those words. So I revoke the words that I will never be able to get to this certain level, let's say like school level. I revoke those words and I cancel it in the name of Jesus. Okay, and then the third one now, just as Jesus kind of spoke that over Peter, you now, you replace those previous wrong confessions with the right one. Okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, I can surely do all things that God gives me the grace for. Okay, so that's uh, self-imposed word curses, okay? So if you just, we're just going to talk about, I'm going to kind of briefly talk about curses, okay? This is talking about like satanic curses or like, you know, like those voodoo doctors or these kind of things, uh, witches and uh, the dark agents of Satan, okay? Curses are one of the main weapons that servants of Satan use against the people of God, okay? So in Numbers chapters 20 through 24, Again, I'm just going to summarize this. Uh, this is the account of Balak, who he's the king of Moab. And so the Israelites are starting to gain territory near him. So he feels all this fear and he feels like, oh, my kingdom is threatened. Okay. So Balak, now he hires Balaam to speak forth curses over Israel. Okay. So essentially, Balaam is like the witch doctor, okay, hired by Balak. Okay. Now, if you, if you were to talk about something like this today, many Western Christians or Christians would be like, oh, this is, it's kind of like hocus pocus. It's, it's uh, kind of superstitious nonsense here. And there's not much power. Okay, but if you read through Numbers 22 to 24, you see that God's reaction was different. Okay, God intervenes. He doesn't say like, oh, these words don't have power. Okay, but he supernaturally comes forth and now he makes Balaam speak forth blessings over Israel. Okay, this is just kind of like random curses like, you know, if you go through like those kind of dark agents, like really intense things, right? But many Christians can, maybe they will think like, okay, I'm not going to go to like a witch doctor and do like the voodoo kind of different things. Okay, but they, they don't actually realize that in the same kind of way, Christians can also speak curses over their fellow brother and sister. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Um, James 3, 14 through 15. Okay, this is James chapter 3. Okay, remember that James is addressing uh, the church here. Uh, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, 
sensual and demonic. So this word right here in the middle, okay, in between earthly and demonic, sensual, okay, it can be translated into the English word soulish. Okay, another translation in Greek, it talks about unspiritual or unnatural. The Greek word for here is called sukikos, which is formed from suke, meaning soul. Okay, we can kind of get a better idea of what the soul is made up of from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Okay, here you see... Oh, the next slide, Molly. What is it? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul... Okay, this is the same word that it's used. And body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, uh, Paul is kind of giving us a makeup of the complete human personality. Okay, we have the spirit, the soul, and the body, and he's listing them in this way in order. Okay, because the spirit is what, when we were saved, we now have communion with the Holy Spirit and with God. Okay, next is our soul, and next the body. Okay, but in James chapter three, he's talking about the sensual person who's soulish. This is talking about someone whose activity of their soul is not in proper relationship with his spirit. Okay, the same word that's used as sensual is also in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Okay, this is in the ESV. Okay, here it says the natural person. Okay, so this is talking about the same word that we talk about, sensual. Does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, when the soul and the spirit are not aligned, as this verse says, someone who's acting in the natural, they can't comprehend the things of God. It's like all the things that they see are purely fleshly and in the soul. Okay, we can also see that same word sensual and natural in the next slide. Uh, Jude 6, oh, 18 through 19 Okay, so here the word natural here is the same exact Greek word as the other ones, okay? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so here it's talking about someone who can be described as soulish, Okay, and this is a quote from Derek Prince from the book Blessings and Curse. Blessings or Curse. Okay. Is it here? Ah, the effects of... Oh, sorry, not this one. Sorry, Molly. I have it here, okay? So this is a, a quote from Derek Prince, who's kind of known as like the father of healing and deliverance, okay? So he's talking about what the soulish person is like. He is apparently one who associates with the church, and wears a veneer of spirituality. At the same time, his soul is not rightly related to God through his spirit. In spite of the faith he professes, he is in reality a rebel, out of harmony with God and with the people of God. Okay, the root problem of a soulish person is rebellion. It's like some kind of disobedience or some kind of rejection of God's authority. Okay, because the soul has to be in line with the spirit... Okay, when you have someone who's soulish, okay, you get in all kinds of trouble. Okay, so we're going to talk about two ways that someone can use their kind of soulish behavior. 
Okay, this first one I'm kind of gonna glaze over quickly. So if you guys just write down the like the notes, I mean like the verses, you guys can take a look later. Okay, but uh, verse is talking about soulish talk. Uh, verses uh, one. Okay, Titus three two. Do I have a slide for that, Molly? Oh, okay. So Titus three two is talking about speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling to be gentle. Okay, so this speak evil in the Greek is blasphemo, which it talks about God, but it's also saying don't speak evil over over others. Okay, James 4.11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Okay, here the speak evil is talking about speak against. Okay, so here many Christians interpret James to mean that we are not to say anything false about believers. (laughs) Well, you know, Tiffany, that's really true how she is, da, 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 okay, but here it's not talking about this, even true things can be soulish words, okay, other words, it can be gossip, okay, gossip in Romans 1 to 29, 30 is listed as a consequence of man turning away from God, okay, it's grouped together with strife, deceit, and malice, and I believe it's because the the heart issue behind gossip is one of those three. It's either you have strife with someone and you're like, oh, so you know what? You know what I heard that uh, Tom did the other day? You know what he said? Can you believe that? <laughs> we should pray for him. <laughs> and you preface it with the we should pray for him, okay? But it's still gossip, okay? Gossip can be identified as idle and casual chat, okay? This can just be like, you know, you're not being malicious. You're just talking, Okay? Or it could be malicious, okay, where you're trying to target rumors or slander. But either way, these are examples of soulish words, which the Bible tells us for us to not do. Uh, here it is. I'll read Romans 129, okay? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Okay, it's grouped in with all those things that God takes very seriously. Because, you know, like when you think, like, oh, I just, what's the big deal? We didn't really, like, I didn't share their secrets or, like, you know, it's just whatever. It was just like, you know, just idle talk or whatever. But I believe the reason that God is so strict about these things is because he understands that our words have power to give death and life. Okay, now I'm going to talk about the second aspect of soulish words. Okay, this is called like soulish prayers. Okay. So a lot of times, like Christians, they'll never like go to like a witch doctor and like pay money and do like weird sacrifices and stuff like that to pronounce evil. Okay, but oftentimes the most like, you know, good, I feel like I'm good and moral. These kind of Christians, they can speak out soulish words of prayer to one another. Now, it's so important that when we pray, that we pray the right kind of prayers. Okay, when we begin to play the role of the accuser, then we are following the pattern of Satan, not Christ. Okay, it says that the devil is accuser of the brethren. Now, if you look at the Pauline letters, if you notice, 
he always starts with thanksgiving. He's like, oh, oh, I thank you for blah, 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 blah. It's always like, oh, I thank, praise be to God and thank you, thank you, okay? I believe this is a good way to kind of guard against your prayers. That if you're praying for, for someone, if you can thank the Lord for them and genuinely thank the Lord from them, you can kind of guard yourself from praying any kind of soulish prayers. But man, how many of you know when you get like an argument with someone, it's so very hard to thank you for them. Thank God for them. Like, mm, that's a, mm. I was like listening to the sermon from this like black preacher from Atlanta. And he would like talk about how like, oh, you know, the grandmas. And then they, they're talking and then all of a sudden they go, mm. <laughs> they're trying to guard their, guard their mouths from speaking. Like all this like road rage. And all of a sudden I, I like laugh so hard because I could imagine. I imagine some of these people that I know, these grandmas going, mm. and like kind of like singing those songs that they, they know the power of their words. It like made me laugh so hard, okay? Because they know the power of their words. It's so important that when we pray, that we have pure motives and humility in our prayers. You know, I am so careful when I pray. And, you know, Caleb will sometimes talk about like, oh, Mina prays a lot and I pray. But I guarantee you 90% of my prayers is making sure that I have pure motives. Because I get really angry about all kinds of different things. And, you know, in certain times of the month, it gets worse. I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay, so much of my time, I'm like, Lord, cleanse me of this. Lord, I feel angry. I I just want to go over there and strangle my husband. <laughs> Those are the thoughts. I don't act on them. Okay, but I'm like, Lord, help me process this anger. Lord, I feel this way. Okay, I think... I do want to kind of preface, like, you know, words have power in life, okay, but doesn't mean we can't process. It's not like we have to, like, deal with all our stuff and, like, put it in the back of my head, back of my head. Not like this, okay? You talk, talk with a friend. Talk with a, someone that you trust, okay? Talk with God. Lord, I feel angry. Lord, I feel like I'm going to go over there and pull his hair out. <laughs> Lord, Okay, you want to talk about these things, so preface it with, Lord, I feel. Okay, because God is, hears our cries and he wants to take the burdens off our soul. Okay, but it's so important to pray with pure motives. Okay, because without pure motives, those prayers can actually be targeted against curses to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, now we have a, okay, this is a, quote from Derek Prince, okay, from his book, Blessing or Curse. So it's talking about soulish prayers. Okay, the effects of such soulish prayers is that like that of soulish talk. It's negative, not positive. It releases against those from whom we are praying invisible, indefinable pressures, which do not relieve their burdens, but rather add to them. Now, it's so interesting because in this book, he talks about like how he's over in England. He's ready to minister. Okay. But all of a sudden, he gets this like really intense like abdomen pain. And as he's praying, he's trying to break through. He's like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to preach with this pain. Like God gives him a word of knowledge. Oh, these two people, your two friends, they're talking about you. Okay. And that gossip was now used as weapons against him. And so, you know, he kind of had to forgive them for speaking those words and the kind of breaking it later talks about how they how they reconcile 
Okay, but just like this, when you talk gossip as it can be negative, a soulless prayer is just the same. It adds like a, I can't describe it, like an invisible barrier. And like I myself, I wouldn't like really consider myself all that like spiritually sensitive. Okay, but I remember in 2018, I went to go visit my family in America. And that was a really tough year. I was kind of like going through like a, a pit of depression. Okay, but I was kind of talking to uh, my mentor and we were FaceTiming. And he was like, he, he kind of discerned. He was like, and then he broke over me. He's like, I break all soulish words and prayers and I break any kind of witchcraft prayers, which essentially like soulish prayers can be accustomed to like, oh, these are prayers that people don't have a malintent, right? It's like their hearts are just not right before the Lord. So they're like, Lord, have this person stay here. They shouldn't be going to that country. They need to stay here because this is your will. Okay, it's kind of like it's not that malicious. Okay, but witchcraft prayers are malicious. Like they are trying to seek control, and it's like, Lord, teach them a lesson. These kind of things, right? And so he kind of broke the witchcraft, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like you know, like I I always hear people talk about it, but I I I kid you not. Like I felt like a black cloud like dissipated like you know in charlie brown you know linus or who's that really dirty dude dirt pig pen pig pen right you know pig pen always has this like little like dirty like cloud following him it felt like that right but i didn't notice while i was in that dirty cloud or that black cloud it was just when he broke the spirit of witchcraft and he broke those prayers i was like oh i feel so clear like it was hard to explain like i still felt a little depressed but i didn't feel so like gloomy and I didn't feel so much confusion. Okay, sometimes I want to attribute that sometimes if you begin to feel spiritually heavy, especially like feeling guilty or inadequate or unworthy, like out of nowhere. Like I know sometimes, you know, our identity needs to be renewed. But I'm talking about like it feels like a wave of like you just feel guilty. Like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, who am I worthy? I can't, you know, I can't compete with this. How can I continue to go forth and do this? Like, I'm a hypocrite or these kind of things, okay? Oftentimes, I believe that that's led by kind of those kind of soulish prayers, okay? Or if all of a sudden you have clarity and then all of a sudden you start to feel like mad confusion, you know, talking about like you feel anxious, like you felt like you're on the right track, like you're hearing from the Lord, like this is the way, and all of a sudden you feel like, Oh, like your heart's going to beat out of your chest and this. Okay, oftentimes that can be attributed to these kind of soulish prayers. That has to be broken in the spirit. Because our words have power. Where are we here? All right. Ah, Okay, let's go to the slide. So this is kind of talking about ways that you can guard yourself. Uh, when praying for fellow believers, there are two soulish attitudes to guard against. Okay, the first one is we must not accuse in our prayers. Okay? So when, you know when you start to accuse, and you, you know what I'm talking about, like, I'm right. They're wrong. I can't believe they said that to me. I'm going to show them. Yeah, everyone, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> it's not just me. Okay? These are like accusing and condemning prayers. Okay, this is like when we take the judge sheet and we're like, I am definitely right and that homie's wrong. And he, he needs to be taught a lesson. Okay? 
you all kind of get that coming up on you. Okay, this is like something that you want to definitely guard yourself against, okay? Because accusation comes from the enemy. We want to speak life over people, okay? So first thing is not to accuse. And second, we must not seek to control. The second type is we don't want to dominate in our prayers, okay? Oftentimes, you can, you know, you once you start becoming a more like emotionally aware of how you feel, you can feel the fear, you know, when you start acting anxious or like when you start like, don't do that. I told you not to do that. I'm talking about like with kids, okay? Or like when you try to like overly like, you know, like, and then you get like, you real freak out when things don't go your way. You're like, I planned it like this. Why does not that happen? Okay, that's just a sign. <laughs> okay, that you're, you're seeking to control. Okay, in these aspects, in this time, you should be very guarded against what you pray. And instead, you've got to ask the Lord. Help me, God. Fill me with your spirit. Oh, let's go to that slide, Molly. The Romans. I skipped that. Romans 8. 8:26-27. This is uh, talking about prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, it's so important in your prayer time that you ask Holy Spirit to fill you. Now, I notice that, like, as I grow in my Christian faith and I begin to mature, sometimes I feel, like, more unaware. I'm like, oh, man, I I have a really dirty heart. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness, why all this stuff coming forth? Okay, that's what covenant uh, community is for, okay? So that you guys get to know each other and all your ugly stuff comes up, okay? So that through relationship and through the body of Christ that you get healed, okay? But... Here, uh, he's urging us to go to the Holy Spirit. Okay, because you want to guard yourself against these kind of accusing and any kind of like controlling prayers. And in the book, Blessings and Curses, actually, one of the things he lists as the evidence of a curse is mental or emotional breakdown. Now, I do want to preface, like, you know, we all, and I still prescribe that girls should have a good cry once a month you know there's all that like pent up like stress and then like you cry you feel better okay i'm not talking about that but i'm talking about like intense mental and emotional breakdown it's talking about deuteronomy 28 there's like a whole list of stuff that happens okay but if you look through there it's talking about it's like the inner the innermost being of your personality it's like it's being breached by hostile forces you know what I'm talking about? It's like you're all good, and all of a sudden you like feel like you're like going down a spiral Ooh, of like all these thoughts, okay? Two key things are like really massive confusion or depression. I would kind of take as marks that perhaps someone has spoken something over you. Okay, and then we talked about soulish prayers, and then I'll just touch very briefly on witchcraft prayers. This is like soulish prayers is like remember I said like oh it's like you don't have you don't have like malicious you're just like whatever like oh I just pray that uh, that guy will be my husband. <laughs> oh that's my husband I like him. Okay, you don't want to pray those prayers, okay? Witchcraft prayers 
is like when you're trying to seek power from your prayers. And for 1 Samuel 15:23 talks about for re- rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. Okay, this is an expression of man's rebellion against God. And this is man's attempt to gain his own ends. Okay, without submitting to God's timing and to God's law. Okay, a lot of us can fall into this when God, you know, God gives you a very big vision. Like you're going to go and you're going to help the reunification of North Korea or something like something really big. And when we start to do things in our timing, you know, in our own ways where we can submit to that kind of uh, witchcraft prayers. Okay. That was all like real intense. Now, let's look at the cross of Jesus. <laughs> the cross of Jesus, okay? Isaiah 53:5 says, "He was crushed for our iniquities." Now, you know, Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins, okay, but he also endured in our place all the evil consequences. Okay, that were due to us by divine justice and our iniquity. In exchange, God offered us all the good, okay, that was due to the sinless obedience of Jesus. Okay, very often a curse over a person's life, you can kind of see it as like an unseen barrier that holds people back from like full salvation. Because when you talk about salvation, it's not just talking about going to heaven, but it's talking about like, you know, areas of your body areas of prosperity like having all that you need like i'm not talking about the prosperity gospel where like you have to be rich but i'm talking about like having enough and over provisions for what god has assigned for your life okay if you look at jesus he wasn't like all like you know had all this money okay but every single thing that he did god provided and gave abundance right so even when he fed the 5000 there was like basketfuls of leftover okay because god he will always provide over to the abundance of what you're called to do. Okay, but oftentimes curses block us from these kind of barriers. Uh, Galatians 3:13 to 14 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay, it's every one of the curses in its fullness came upon Jesus. He has thus opened the way for us to obtain an equally full release and enter into the corresponding blessing. Okay, this is why with any kind of curse that is spoken over us through the cross of Christ, we can claim Galatians 3.13 and kind of break that curse. All right. In all this and in everything that we talked about, yeah, I gave you guys a lot of biblical and spiritual principles, but I do want to kind of preface that in all of this, we must be careful to also recognize our continuing dependency on the Holy Spirit. Okay, because it's possible for these things to just become like a formula, like do, 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 and we kind of pull out God from the picture. Okay, but we always want to invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Okay, otherwise, our carnal and fleshly mind can reduce these principles to a system in which God plays the role of a heavenly vending machine and not as a father 
and not as someone who has relationship with us. Okay, I want us to kind of, uh, let's close our eyes. And Tiffany, if you can kind of come up.